Good morning. Good to see everybody today. I have no idea who will be here. We have some out visiting. We have some out sick. We have some visiting with us. We just appreciate so much your presence, your attention this morning. Uh, before I begin, I want to say I took an antihistamine a little bit earlier. If I doze off during the lesson, y'all turn the lights out on your way out. Mead and I were talking this morning about how many Sunday mornings we've gotten up on Christmas Day and I had to preach. And here it is again. Christmas Day and I'm preaching to you. It's been a good life and I've enjoyed most of it. I want to talk with you for a little while this morning about Jesus, the Son of Man. This is a, a title, I think, that Jesus takes for Himself in the book of Matthew, the 16th chapter, beginning in verse 18. Now, when Jesus came into the districts of Caesarea Philippi, He was asking His disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? This concept of the Son of Man comes up again in 27 and 28 of this chapter. For well, the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of His Father with His angels and will repay every man according to His deeds. Truly, I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste of death until they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. The Son of Man. The Son of Man. That's Jesus. He's the Son of God. He's a lot of things, but here He is the Son of Man. Stephen is the only one in the New Testament that uses that expression other than Jesus in the book of Matthew. It's also back in one of the earlier chapters. Three or four different times. The Son of Man, the Son of Man, the Son of Man. Uh, let me see here. Titles. Tell us a lot about a person. Who, who he is, what he does, and things like that. I see Jesus, the Lamb of God. I believe he's talking there about his meek and sacrificial nature. Which takes me back in my mind to Isaiah 53. Like a lamb to the slaughter, he opens not his mouth. He's meek. He's all of those things. This tells us a little bit about the Son of God. The title, The Good Shepherd, um, tells us much about the Son of God as well. His individual care for the lambs. He looked on them as a sheep not having a shepherd. And he talked, he instructed them, he cared for them. He did all the things that he could for them. He's the friend of publicans and sinners. I, I kind of like that expression. He cares for the outcast and the vile of life. It's not just the elite that, that suit the Son of God. He's going to accompany everybody. He, he can be my friend and yours, and, and he is. He's the Son of David. And this suggests to me Messianic prophecy and a, just a, a hope that we have of Jesus as someone close to us, as one of us. No one else in the New Testament except Stephen uses that expression, but you will find it back in the Old Testament. In the book of Daniel, the seventh chapter, we've talked about this passage before. Daniel is taken up from Babylon into heaven. And he sees something taking place that we see taking place in the book of Acts, the first chapter. The apostles are standing gathered around Christ. 
and he ascends into heaven. And they see him going. And the angel, of course, speaks to him, why do you stand gazing into heaven? He'll come back in the same way. I like Daniel's perspective of this better. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, the clouds of heaven, in the clouds of heaven, one like the Son of Man was coming, and he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. Daniel sees Jesus coming up to sit at the right hand of God as one about to take the throne, the Son of Man, the Son of Man. And that title just reverberates through my mind so often. What do we mean by it? John says in chapter 1, verse 14, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory. Glory is the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Son of Man. We saw His glory. It's the book of Philippians, the second chapter. He emptied Himself took the form of a servant, made in the likeness of man. He did all of these things for me, for you. He's one of us. He's not just God. He's man as well. And he wants us to realize that that's who he is with all the feelings and limitations that a man can have. In the book of Matthew, the fourth chapter, Jesus being tempted by Satan, Satan, after 40 days, he was hungry. You know what it's like to be hungry after 40 days? I don't know how nourishing the liquids were at that time, but he was serving, fasting. I imagine the weakness of his flesh, the way he felt physically weak, but he could be mentally strong. He hungered. And Satan says, turn some of these stones into bread. There's no problem with miracle bread. God fed the Israelites for 40 years in the wilderness wandering with manna, miracle bread. Jesus fed the 5,000 with miracle bread. What do you mean by that? I get the impression that what he's saying to them there is that miracle bread is not wrong, but Jesus down here was going to suffer like a human being. I never see him exerting his deity to exempt himself from anything that I have to go through. I can't turn stones into bread. I can't multiply loaves and fish to feed a multitude. Jesus could, but to preserve himself, he didn't. He was hungry like we are. That's his human nature. His thirsting on the cross. I thirst. You ever think about how God could have alleviated that distress if he wanted to? How Jesus Himself could have. All we need is a thunderstorm. Thunder and lightning with rain. He can lift His head up and soak in the moisture. But He didn't. Because I can't do that. He didn't do that. 
he was tired in John the fourth chapter. We see Jesus meeting a Samaritan woman at a well. His disciples had gone into the city to buy something to eat, to care for the master. He stays behind because he's exhausted. I have no idea how much Jesus put up with in this life that exhausted him physically, that exhausted him emotionally, that just exhausted him in every way you can imagine. He went through this physical distress as a man. He experienced anger. He experienced compassion. He experienced grief. He experienced all of these things. So that in the book of Hebrews, the fourth chapter, the writer can tell us we have a high priest, a servant, tempted at all points like we are, yet without sin. So now we can come to him in full assurance that he cares for us, that he understands what it's like to be human. And it's the reason, I think, that he uses that expression, the Son of Man. The Son of Man. Yes, he's the Son of God, but he's the Son of Man as well. He knows what I'm going through. In Luke 2.52, this is a, a simple little passage that, I don't know, just gave me a new insight into what Jesus went through for, for us. It's talking about his going back to Nazareth with Mary and Joseph. He went down with him and came to Nazareth and continued in subjection to them, and his mother treasured all these things in her heart. Jesus kept on increasing in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. And I understand that Jesus is going to increase in stature, that he's going to impress some people with who he is and things like that. But he increased in wisdom. That's what impressed me this morning. He increased in wisdom. He grew in knowledge. Can you imagine the Son of God, deity, having to learn something? I could not. But here he is, the Son of God, with his limitations, with all that he had to go through. I marvel as well at his completeness. Uh, I think about the apostles. Peter, with all of his enthusiasm. I think about Paul with his courage and his ability, with his intellect. I think about John with his sense of love and his strength that he had for people. Every human being has strengths and weaknesses. And I think we understand that, but I don't know that we appreciate it about the Son of God. We look at the preachers around us. Every one of us has a strength and a weakness personal work. Those who are good at it aren't always good at other aspects of preaching. I've known guys who were great at working with individuals who could not attract my attention or keep my attention for more than two minutes with the sermons that they were preparing. Talk to them one-on-one -on -one and they do a great job. Scholarship. Black Creek church down in Vestburg. Several of us have gone and preached for in the year, in, in past months. Had two preachers, and I knew both of them. 
and I listened to them at various times complain about each other. Now, they weren't there at the same time. One of them was there, and he was never in his office. You kind of wondered where his sermons came from. They didn't come from his studies because he was a studious kind of man, but he'd be out helping somebody do something. You want to rebuild a car engine? I'll come help. You want to put a roof on your house? I'll come help. The next private guy that came down there didn't help anybody do anything. He spent all of his time in the office. Do you think they could appreciate each other? Not by and large. We're too critical of each other. You couldn't tell the studious one that the other one, while he was on a roof with somebody or under a car with somebody, was actually talking to them about the Bible. But he was. He could do more personal work in one of those little episodes than the other guy could in a month. Do we appreciate strengths and weaknesses in one another? Not the way that we ought to. And then I see Jesus coming along and he's everything. He's as meek as Moses, with the patience of Job, with the heart of Jeremiah, with the wisdom of Solomon. He's everything. And I marvel at who he is as the Son of Man. How could he be that? How could he be so total, so complete? He could and he did. Centuries ago, somebody wrote a book about a preacher. And he called him a man for all seasons. Well, I think about that and I think about Jesus. He is everything to every one of us. He was Jewish, but he's not just Jewish. He's Oriental. He's Middle Eastern. He's African. He's European. He's everything. I don't know how he can be all of these things to all of these people. But I know that he was. And I know that all of us have learned to appreciate him in one way or the other. In the book of Galatians, the third chapter, verse 28, when Paul came along and said, Now, there is no Greek, there is no Jew, there is no bond, there is no free, there is no male, there is no female. We're all one in Christ. Here's who Jesus was. He was male. All the way through, I don't think he ever presented himself as a female, but I think most females love him because he seemed to understand your nature, my nature, everybody's nature. He was bond and free. He was a servant of all. And he was served by all. We need to be what he was. He's the son of mankind. The son of mankind. And this son of man concept talks to me about who he was. Let me go back to this passage in Matthew. Chapter 16. 
and read with you again verse 27 and 28. For the Son of Man is going to come in glory of His Father with His angels, and they will then repay every man according to his deeds. Truly I say to you, there are some of those standing here who will not taste of death until they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. As Daniel saw Him rise as the Son of Man, as the apostles in the first century saw Him rise as the Son of God, as Stephen says, I saw the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. We will see the Son of Man coming in glory. He's everything to us. This season of the year when we tend to magnify the birth of Christ, I'm wondering why God didn't give us a birthday. Tell us to remember Jesus. Because it seems to me that if He had given us the birthday with a command of some kind to celebrate the birth of Christ, we would have done with it exactly what we did with Christmas Day. It would eventually be a celebration, not of a man, not of the Son of Man, not of the Son of God, but a celebration of ourselves. We would make it a fiasco whereby we shop ourselves to death spending money we don't have for things that nobody really wants. I was in Walmart yesterday. The return line was non-existent. You show up there tomorrow and the return line is going to be out the door with people taking things back that they don't want, that they don't need, this is what would have happened, I'm persuaded, if God had given us the birthday with a command to celebrate it in some way, we would have messed it up. We have no clue as to His birth. We have a clue as to the day of His death and resurrection. That's what God wants us to celebrate. But here is Jesus, the Son of Man, and one day, we will see Him coming in His glory. We'll be glad in prayer at this time.